0: Good day, everyone. Hello, all my listeners out there, and welcome to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theatre Radio. I am your host once again, Jean-Paul Jovanov, and we have another incredible person to talk about their love, their life, their passion for musical theatre. On the line today with us, we have Craig Christie. Craig, thank you very much for uh, coming on today. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Awesome. So we always start out with a simple 30-second bio just to get us going. So tell us a little bit about
1: yourself. Well, um, I came from a teaching background where I started writing for my students. And after a little while, I sort of reached the limit of what I wanted to do in the classroom, I wanted to take my writing further, but always stayed originally working in the education field. but. Basically, I wrote stories and I write tunes, and when you put them together, evidently that was musical theatre, so (laughs) I sort of came into it by accident. And um, so my interest in storytelling musically grew, um, and before I knew it, I found myself on the commercial stage with my first shows in Melbourne, Australia, and then from there it sort of took off internationally, but I've always kept a... um, a toe in the education water as well, because I've got a real passion for educating young people through music and storytelling. So it's basically my career. And now I split my time between London and Melbourne and go wherever the work may be all around the world.
0: That's that's awesome. I love the fact that you're working with kids, which is really important building, you know, not just uh, their love of musical theatre, but, you know, theatre's self-confident, right? It helps them grow. Absolutely.
1: And yeah. As, even as a teacher, I was not interested in teaching people how to become actors, but just learning how to be able to express themselves confidently, feel better about themselves and open themselves to other ideas and different ways of looking at things.
0: I'm glad you you mentioned you're from Australia because I'd love to uh, talk more about about the musical theatre scene down there Mm because you're our first Australian on the the program, so thank you. All right, excellent. (laughs) So you are going to be the quintessential everything about Australia. You're going to (laughs) tell us.
1: Well, there's not many of us, so it's sort of... (laughs) There There are a number of um, very talented writers working in Australia but it's much less sort of mainstream culturally than it might be in, I was consider sort of North America, particularly because of Broadway. Mm-hmm. It's just considered part of um, the usual cultural sort of background. And same in London with the West End and the mm-hmm. history of theater in these in the countries. It's just much more intrinsic the way people live. Whereas in Australia, it's much more sport orientated. Um, yeah, so so working music theater certainly presents its challenges.
0: Let's start back from the beginning. So how did you, were you always interested in theater or, or musical theater um, when you were a kid? How did, you, how did you discover this this passion for it and then how it went from there?
1: Yeah, well, look, it was um really a series of happy accidents, really. I didn't come from a musical background. I had no um, proper musical training. I did train as an actor and as a drama teacher and I used to teach literature, drama and dance at um, secondary school for 10 years. Um, and during that time, as I said earlier, I started writing material for my students because there was a dearth of appropriate material that I could find for them to perform. And I'd always just made up tunes. I'd played in garage bands when I was a teenager and things like that. And um, so I began writing songs just to fill in the gaps. And uh, when I left teaching and started my company, Nomades Productions, which was originally exclusively doing theatre for schools, and I found that songs were always the best way to grab the audience's attention and focus them on moments. And through that avenue, I became much more aware of the power of, um, of music as a, to drive narrative and things like that. I think that being said, I did when I was at um, at college, when I was 19, I did write a rock opera because <laughs> that was the thing to do. Yeah. But um, when I wrote my first big stage musical, which was a show called Crusade in the mid 90s, I'd only ever seen two musicals in my life. Wow. Um, it's changed significantly then of course. So I sort of did it backwards. I sort of reverse engineered things. I um, just looked at the the whole place of a song and a narrative and um and worked on my lyric writing and played around with musical styles and uh, that's sort of how my career started sort of staggering along.
0: <laughs> so so you when you went to school, you did you knew you were gonna be a teacher or did you always want to be a teacher?
1: Yeah, actually, I had a real passion for for education because I had a great drama teacher myself and a great literature teacher. Um, I had a a father who was determined I was going to be a doctor, which I was (laughs) determined I wasn't going to be. Um, And I wasn't aware of sort of other avenues. I didn't come from uh, a family that had sort of any relation to the arts, really. I was a bit of a sort of (laughs) an adopted child in that respect. And... um, But, you know, my family loved listening to music and things like that. But the idea of of it as as certainly as a career or even anything more than just a hobby was absolutely sort of impossible as far as I was concerned or as my family were concerned. But my love of drama and my love of education took me straight into the teaching world, which I'd loved. And in fact, teaching still remains a very important part of my writing even now and i don't count that as any less significant than my like show i've had on the west end and things like that
0: arts and theater no matter what it is no matter how big or small it's 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 important
1: oh absolutely fundamental i think to um to appropriate proper development
0: oh for sure i i want to take it off on a, a different track in australia is is the arts regarded as as less as it is here because i find in canada they always push the science and the text and the maths
1: oh look at arts get
0: pushed off to the side
1: yeah no the um the notion of a career in the arts is still very much not a mainstream thing okay um i think it, and people's perception of like acting it's basically being on a television soap opera gets you the notoriety <laughs> rather than working on the stage and things like that yeah and um same with, the, um, with music uh, as well. The music industry is very much focused on the very accessible commercial world and people don't understand careers outside those really apparent sort of commercial outlets. So they don't understand the notion of, uh, of the time it takes to develop a piece of music theatre or anything like that. Um, and also, as, as I mentioned earlier, the absolute focus on um, sports. You know, Australia's mm. love and I mean, I'm a passionate sort of sports fan myself. I'm obsessed about tennis and I love my Aussie rules football and things like that. But one of my aims was always to create the same excitement in a theater that I see generated um, in an audience of a sports event. So that's how I've come around playing with the uh, music theater form a little bit.
0: Yeah. It's it's unfortunate that this is a worldwide phenomenon that the arts don't get the, recognition that they are really just as important as the maths and the sciences um because i'll be honest i don't know how often i use the multiplication tables compared to interacting with humans
1: right yes, That's, indeed exactly <laughs> right. right
0: like sure i need both but it's unfortunate that
1: uh, and but the interesting thing statistically and i think it's the same in um many uh many countries in the world, the, the actual industry itself, the arts industry generates billions in, in income, mm-hmm, but sure. it's not actually um, noted. And one an interesting statistic uh, is that more Australians interact with an arts experience than they do with a sports experience. And yet the, the perception is that it's all about sports. But, you know, people will go to the theater or go see a concert or go to a gallery um, more than they'll go to a sporting event. But the public perception is quite the reverse of that.
0: It's true. Yeah. You, you never hear a, a, a research scientist say, you always hear a research scientist, oh, I'd love to be an actor. You know what? I'd love to do that. You never hear an actor go, you know what? I'd love to be a research scientist. Yes. No, I, yeah. That's
1: weird. All <laughs> well, so, that being said, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I've no. read about female mathematicians once. So it's <laughs> that fascinated me. But okay. there have been some breakouts in Australia. I mean, um, on Broadway at the moment, um, Eddie, Eddie Perfect is an Australian writer who's got two shows on Broadway. So, nice. um, Well, actually, one now because King Kong just closed. Yes. <laughs> but He wrote Beetlejuice. Um, and I've known Eddie since he graduated from college, and he's a brilliant writer, a brilliant young writer, but he's mm. one of the rare ones who's, um, you know, made it to that very, very top, top level. But even so, it's that's the equivalent of you know winning a grand slam in tennis by, oh, oh, by yeah. any means. But you certainly won't get the um, the media coverage and the public sort of notoriety and celebration that his achievements require.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate. So now you started your company, Nomates Productions. Did you start yeah. that before you? Fin- Are you still teaching? That's the question.
1: No, no, I no, no. I've been writing. Okay. Time for nearly 30 years. Okay. So, my job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on that. There are so many people out there who would love to be able to, to be able to do uh, what you do full time. Um, so did you start NoMates um, while you were still teaching or was that after?
1: Uh, no, NoMates was the name that my students gave themselves when we formed a student theater company because oh, cool. part of my drama education program was that my students would, we'd develop our own programs and then we'd go on tour um and so i had a profile um as the the man with no mates and uh and then um i got a publishing deal for a lot of the work that i that i'd written for for the no mates program and so when i left teaching it seemed the obvious thing to just capitalize upon that that profile I already had and no mates productions was born in um at the end of 1990 and has been going ever since
0: very cool yeah i'm on the website looking at and just the number of shows is it's you know, oh gosh, the website's
1: terribly out of date too. I've got to do something about that. Been <laughs> another six shows since then, I think. So, wow. yeah. well, that's one way. That's how I make a living. I mean, it's sort of. I think yeah. there's only three Australians who actually could say that they make their living writing original musicals. And part of my means of doing that is just being bloody prolific. So, yes. uh, and not, I don't aim for the big Broadway show. I look at other. Environments and contexts in which I can write musical narratives. I do a show every year that tours primary schools in Australia. Um, actually, it's one's currently touring at the moment, and every year in Australia we celebrate our children's literature with the Children's Book Week, and I write a new mini musical every year that tours schools. And currently, we've got fifteen casts on the road simultaneously playing to one hundred forty, hundred fifty thousand kids in Australia. Wow. And um, so those, those musicals um, have now been seen by getting, closing in on three million kids since I started the program. And so this is often children's first experience of musical theatre, and I think a really great way to open them up to the idea of it, where they're having to invest all the time and, and money of trying to get them into a theatre and things like that, take the shows to them.
0: That's that's incredible. That's thank you. <laughs> the kids thanked. You know, as as someone now, luckily, I grew up with a lot of theater in my life and going to see a lot of musicals and things like that. But so many kids have never stepped into a theater, and thank you for giving them some kind of exposure because without it, they might never know about it.
1: Exactly right. Yes, I always sort of see it's really important to uh, get. Um not just children, but a lot of the population. It's like, it's like um, opening the doors to the temple, that people walk past the etters, but it's a place that they don't feel comfortable or welcome to, they think it's something that other people do. And it's vital for, um, for future audiences that we break down those barriers and let people see it as a very accessible thing. And uh, so I spend every bit as much effort and craft writing these musicals for, um, for kids as I do in writing any other program. Um, yeah so I think you listened to some I, I gave you a link to one of my soundcloud things and there's a whole lot of my stuff for kids on there and I think it's sort see of, it 's quite an interesting range of stuff but it i don 't compromise and it 's not sort of nursery rhyme sort of stuff at all it 's really quite sophisticated music theater writing
0: i 'm so glad that um you came on and and told told us about all this stuff because because you know you've written all this stuff, but people not might not necessarily know who you are, and and that's why I wanted you on because you've got so much, uh, so much work, a body of work that people should get to know you, and and I we're gonna go to a song um, from Connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been playing it on the radio station Planet Kate. That song. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I love that song. <laughs> it's you know, I don't you know I, you hear musicals and and I heard a ton of stuff because being in the radio station, but. Every time that's on, I really love singing along with it.
1: It's a good rock and roll number. (laughs) It is
0: so good. So I want to, actually, I'm going to play that uh, now for everyone who's listening on the radio. If you're listening to the podcast, I'm sorry, I can't play it on that. But, uh, and then when we get back, I'd love to talk to you about your shows. Uh, Tell us about um, your process of writing shows, your influences, and and, uh, some of your favorites, and some of them you might have had a difficulty with. Okay, absolutely. Uh, we are speaking with Craig Christie right now, and we are going to listen to the song Planet Kate from the musical Connected here on Be Our Guest on Musical Theatre Radio. This is Be Our Guest here on Musical Theatre Radio. I am your host, Jean-Paul Yovanoff, and we are speaking with the incredibly talented Craig Christie. Craig, thank you again for uh, coming on and telling us a little bit about yourself and your shows. Uh, pleasure wonderful so uh, we just listened if you're on the radio you were listening on the radio to uh, planet Kate from connected uh, which you know again love that song it's a fantastic song so let's delve into uh, some of your influences uh, musically and stylistically and it doesn't even have to be musical theater what what influences you when you're writing
1: right well um, because I don't come from a music theater background at all I um, I wasn't aware of all the terminology and structures of of normal music theatre like the um, the I want number and the 11 o'clock number, all that sort of stuff. So I had rules. My musical um, background, I suppose, is pop music. Now I tried to, to absolutely stay abreast because I think a beautiful pop song or a really well-written pop song is a vastly underrated work of art. Mm-hmm. Um, think of the the real classics from, from um, Lennon and McCartney through to... Um, the, the ABBA people, I mean, the winner takes it all, is one of the most beautiful numbers ever written. Um, and I suppose that's my musical taste tends towards more commercial um, side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so like with contemporary writers, I, like, I love and Paul because that's very much in sort of my playground, and uh, although they're masters of the craft. And um, that being said, I really enjoy Sondheim. It's up. I, I learned, learned a lot about music theater by listening to the genius of of his work, because um, I love words, and I'm an absolute oh, I'm a fiend about r- proper rhymes. I hate bad rhymes, I can't <laughs> stand oh, that lazy writing, does so my head agree. in when I hear it. So, so um, I've been known uh, to, i scrap a, a day's work, if I come to one couplet that doesn't rhyme absolutely properly, I'll have to just tell the story in a different way to make sure I stay within those structures. Yes. So that's kind of my background. I love how a song feels when you sing it. Um, Because not being a a former musician, anyways, um, a lot of the time, a lot of my composing happens when I go for a walk, and I just take my phone with me and I record the the melodies while I'm on my feet and sort of get a sense of the physical nature of how the how the song comes out. Mm. And it's funny if I'm working on a, a a, um, an up-tempo song, I'll walk really quickly. Things get a bit <laughs> difficult if I'm writing in like 7, 8, and 5, 4, because I do like a time signature, but um, <laughs> people will <laughs> <could laughs> be sad and think I'm drunk, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, that's kind of my, and that, that's my process as well, is um, it, or the songs always come from the hook, the idea, the phrase, that the song is therefore built around. So you go out from a really strong hook, so that's probably comes back to my pop music sensibility.
0: You've, you've written all these shows. What was the first show you wrote again?
1: The very first show I wrote was yeah. when I was 19, when it was um, my rock opera, Morgan, about Morgan Le Fay. And oh, it's, um, nice. <laughs> which is hilarious to look up back on now, and <laughs> <laughs> I look at it fondly, you know, you don't judge things in the no. same criteria when you're 19. Um, but my first sort of um, commercial musical, I suppose, was a show called Crusade that I wrote in the mid-90s, which was the story of the children's crusade that place in the um, 13th century mm-hmm. and that came about typically because a lot of my work does I was um, commissioned to uh, produce a school musical for um, a high school in Melbourne and I couldn't find anything appropriate because you know it's nothing worth having like 12 year old girls on stage singing like I'm just a girl who can't say no just yeah. appropriate and wrong and, and yeah. certainly not, <laughs> not appropriate <laughs> to the culture. So I was looking for a story that was about children. And this period of history always fascinated me. So that was how Crusade came about. And we put it on at the high school and it was very well received. And then I decided I'd produce a concert version of it myself, which was very well received. And then we had investors come in and it led to it hitting the main stage in Melbourne for what remains to this day the biggest concert production of an Australian musical in history, where we had a 100-piece choir and 30-piece orchestra and a whole lot of music theatre stars. In, in a sense, that happened really far too early for me because I, had, I was so overwhelmed and so intimidated by what was happening. It took me a long time to sort of come to terms with that and I actually sort of backed away from main stage musicals for, for quite a time after that because it was just just too much too, too soon. And I, I mean, I didn't even know what a producer did in those days. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, was, <laughs> I found myself in all sorts of trouble signing very, very bad Contracts and things like that, but I'm sure lots of writers, when they're um, inexperienced, have the same yeah. have the same story. So <laughs> we won't do all of those things. Um, but through that time, I was developing my children's musicals as well, which were touring each year. And I sort of originally wrote scripts, and then I'd throw one or two songs in, which is very different to writing a musical. But then, as they developed, writing the songs became intrinsic to the storyline, and so it developed into writing. an actual music proper musical structure in a sort of contained format
0: i'm looking at the list of songs do you when you're with your writing process do you find it simple or do you i'm not simple but easy or or difficult and what do you find more difficult the the music or the lyrics or and and for yourself what comes first
1: it's look it's a it's a case by case scenario it's um songs can uh, but i think the rule is songs either happen really quickly or really slowly. Mm-hmm. There's nothing sort of in between. Like some of my favourite songs, favourite, well, those wonderful melodies, you feel like you're channelling it rather than writing it because yes. it comes so quickly and so completely. Um, but other songs, you have to just sit back and craft it. That's when I really agonise over the um, <laughs> the lyrics. I think I probably spend more time finessing the lyrics. Um, once I've got a melody, it's fitting the, making sure the lyrics fit properly and understanding the musicality of the language. Mm -hmm. Um, that, once again, as I said earlier about the notion of songs feeling good to sing, and if they don't feel good to sing, I don't think they're necessarily, well, they're not good songs. If people sometimes get a bit too clever and, um, and then it's really, yeah, you can't, hum, the old hummable tunes is a very important rule that I've always stood by.
0: <laughs> very much so. Well, especially from a pop background, right? Yeah. If, if yeah. You, you know, if you don't, you can't hum it, then there's, it's not going to make it, so. Mm. so. so, sorry, you were going to say something?
1: Oh, no, I was saying, is, um, yeah, well, that sort oh. of really came to, into real focus, which, which in the, my probably biggest commercial success, um, which happened all by accident. Um, when I wrote Eurobeat, um, yes. which is a musical sort of based in, around the infamous Eurovision Song Contest. And I, I did, originally did it just as a, a bit of a joke. And I was writing a, a musical with another writer who was working on the book, and he and I had such very different ideas on what that should look like that um, in the end he said, look, I really don't think I'm the right person to do this project with you and which was fine. It was a very amicable decision we made. But um in the meantime I'd booked a venue to do a presentation of our work to date. And so within six weeks I called upon a, a colleague of mine, Andrew Patterson, and together we knocked out twelve songs as <laughs> if for um various and we ran our own fake Eurovision song contest where I came up the idea of that the audience had to decide. And then that that was uh, embraced really enthusiastically. And so we, um, I went on to produce a version of it at the Melbourne Comedy Festival mm-hmm. where, once again, it was, a very, it was a great success at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, picked up by producers, toured around Australia and it was the first original score um, Australian musical to tour in... Oh, years and years and uh, so we toured it for six months and then we took it over to the edinburgh fringe festival where it won best musical and broke box office records and that led to a uk tour and eventually to um london's west end all because um i was having a bit of fun with my friends so (laughs) That's, that's the best
0: way for it to happen
1: yeah well i always say my um my career has been a, a series of happy accidents and sort of being in the right place, being ready for good luck to take, to take place.
0: Very nice. Has, has any of your stuff ever toured over here in uh, North America?
1: Um, not today. I did, um, we did have a short scene of one of my um, kid shows in Florida, but um, and I think there was an amateur production licensed of Eurobeat in Canada huh. some time back, but I'm not, Really sure about where that was or how that went. So it was um sometime once I had a um uh, a problem with uh, a, a very shonky producer who sold the amateur rights <laughs> and made money from it and didn't tell me. Um, oh, wow! So I had to uh, spend some time <laughs> recovering that. Yes. So all you budding writers out there, be very very careful.
0: <laughs> well, from the sounds of it, we have an entire continent waiting to hear your stuff.
1: Well, so. that's I mean, this, it's um. It's one of my ambitions still to to crack that grand market. Um, yeah. So it's uh, and say like there's quite a variety of of material to, to choose from. Or you uh, are or you honest, uh, you, uh, <laughs> North American producers listening at the moment. <laughs>
0: Well, th- th- let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can get people over here to hear your stuff and and contact you and and want to put on your stuff. That's yeah. that, that actually that, that's kind of my goal with starting the radio station. Outside of you know listening to musicals all day and all night, that's that's one thing. But also to introduce uh, listeners to new new. You're not new. You're not a new writer per se, but mm. you're not known, right? Not over- known. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And, and, and that's what's been my goal is to help support people who are either new or less known in certain areas and getting their, getting them exposed to a whole new
1: audience. And that so. is a very fine agenda, so congratulations and well done, John Paul. Oh,
0: thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Um, so, let's take it back. Um, do you work with partners a lot? You mentioned you were working with somebody. I
1: I do. Look, it depends on the project. I do like collaborating sometimes. Um, the one thing I'm really bad at is working with someone else's lyrics. I find mm-hmm. that a real struggle. I tend to find that I, that because the for me, the lyric and the melody is so intrinsically connected. I have yeah. I have done it in the past, but it hasn't been hugely successful. I have worked with other composers. Andrew Patterson was someone I worked with on several projects. Um, I work, certainly work with other creative teams, directors, designers, things like that, which is... I I've just um, finished a project in the UK that's uh, been touring around Derbyshire with a terrific theatre maker named Ava Hunt, um, mm-hmm. working on a project uh, based upon the story of a Syrian refugee family that came to Australia, and I. Use historian and we wrote a show about that that was um interact audience interactive show that's been very successful and we've uh yeah just in discussions about where that might happen what what might happen with that next um and she was very much involved not um although i'm credited as the book music and lyrics it was her involvement was intrinsic in the structure and style of how that was taking place and um and i love that process it's always you know Two heads are better than one, even if they're sheep. So let's uh, <laughs> see what. Uh, yeah, always interesting new ideas and um, and, uh, and collaborations.
0: Now, when you, which show has been the, the easiest for you? Which one just flowed out of you and just you know was there and?
1: Um, I'd, well, the Eurobeat sequel, Eurobeat Moldova, which premiered in Edinburgh in two thousand and sixteen. It was just all the songs that I still wanted to write and hadn't had a chance to. And um, and also because we'd set um, a template for it, um, although we were sort of, we tried to, to evolve the format and things like that, we're still basically writing really great fun pop songs um, and inventing new characters to host it and things like that. And uh, so that, yeah, that happened very easily. What's happening at the moment now is we're now looking, trying to sort of break that mold a bit and use the material in a, um, in a more interesting way because, you know, success is is fine but um it's not also very sort of artistically rewarding to sure. be basically into the same wheel, this um same well at the same time although we did get a cracking soundtrack album out of it, which is um available on spotify and, and um and itunes if you want to look for eurobeat moldova nice quick, quick at there. <laughs> no problem that's <laughs> <laughs> what this is all about all
0: yeah. um which show uh Gave you the most difficulty? Which one you just sat there and you know hit your head against the wall trying to figure out how this is going to work?
1: Um, gosh, it's hard. So I I really struggled two or three years ago with one of my children's shows, and you'd think that having written twenty-five of them, that that was sort of something I did every year, and it was really easy. It's so I always find it challenging. But one year I just really, really wrestled with the the storytelling and and um, what I was going to do with the with the songs and what sort of style of song i wanted to use and things like that and I, I remember really thinking oh this is this is a year that everyone finds out i'm a pretender mind <laughs> you i think that every time i go to write a new show i think oh, this one's going to fail and then everyone's going to realize that i'm terrible at my job but uh, that's just normal writer's anxiety but that that children show um i was dealing with a so it's a bit of an um, interesting topic too It was um it was a it was, a, it was Dealing with a boy who had been in an accident and was a uh, becomes a paraplegic, but I, uh, but we don't find that out until the end. It was about being a superhero. It's called Super Duper. It was uh, about a boy who um is hit by a car on his way to the library and he gets knocked through the books. And when he wakes up, he's got superpower and his superpower is to bring books to life. And he's and he's battling against um the the the, the his supervillain um, whose basically job is to try and sort of ruin everyone's confidence and and uh so this battle wages but as it turns out what happens is the whole thing's taking place in his imagination and he's trying to come to terms with dr dismal it's him dealing with his own depression that is that's what's happened to him Mm -hmm. and um which sounds very sophisticated to take to a show that's being played to kids aged five to 10 11 years old but i find that there's no need to patronize your audiences there very able to deal with the story if it's told in the right way, um, but yeah, I found that one a real struggle. Um, but it, 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 it we it ended very well. Got great reviews. Got a cracking score to it in the end. So yeah, it, as usual, you have these struggles, but if you just persevere with it, I have come to trust that the well won't run dry. And no matter what struggles I have, I've never missed a deadline. So I nice. just have to trust the um, trust the process that it will take place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is there a show that's special to you? One that you've written that um, you know you're most proud of? It and it, it might not be your the best yeah. one you've written. It's not the worst, or it's just one that's you know it's special to you.
1: Um, I wrote a show about oh, getting on for twenty years ago. It was commissioned. Um, up in the northwest corner of Victoria, um, it's an area called the Mallee, Victoria, Australia, and it's on a river and it's where they've built a huge agricultural area, but originally it was desert and they've immig- irrigated it. And my grandmother came from that area mm. and I was commissioned to write a show by the, um, it was called Sunrise 21 and it was about how people's relationship with the um, with the environment up there because at that stage, well, it was sort of the um, thin edge of all the environmental issues we're facing now in terms of the river was becoming salinated and drying up and, and how people's relationship, what, the, what their relationship was with the river and how they exploited it and things like that. And so I wrote a story called Water Into Wine, looking at three generations of women um, in that area because it's always men's stories told. I've, always got, I've got a real passion for telling women's stories. Nice. And because um, and it, it was my, my, grand, my grandmother grew up there um in her ch- early childhood, so she w- she was one of the stories I wove into into that narrative and it was a, it was a short piece it only went for um lasted about an hour but um I wrote a couple of pieces that i 'm enormously proud of, and I still sort of roll out it's a song called Green about the three generations looking at how their perception of of the land they live in. And you know, the, the older ones having come in from, from England or Ireland, where lots of these soldiers settlers came from, coming from the green fields to the the red desert of Australia was such a vast and, and difficult contrast. And, um, and yet the farmers who look at it and they saw the potential of turning the red into green and then the child who was used to um, that being a, a just a normal thing and all their different perceptions of the same area that I played around with. And that was, um, yeah, that's that number. Green is a song I'm particularly proud of. Um, And the other thing I suppose, and it's nearly a 10th anniversary, is I was, I told a lie about about, um, North America earlier because I had a big success in (laughs) Nashville. I suddenly remembered it's a (laughs) 10th anniversary. Um, I was commissioned um, by Vanderbilt University in Nashville to write a musical about nurses. And so I spent a year there off and on in the, in the hospital, talking to nurses, getting their stories together. And I wrote a musical called Hey Florence, which was nurses' stories, real stories in their own words. Um, and then, just to add to the whole experience, I cast the show, I directed that show particularly as well, but I cast the show using active duty, duty nurses in the cast. Wow. And put it on there, and it was, um, yeah, got enormous success in, in Nashville we, we took it to New York for a couple of showcases um we uh and then we did a return season in Nashville um was taken to Singapore where it was successful and um with its 10th anniversary you know, coming up in the, in the next week I'm just looking at the possibility of maybe sort of resurrecting that and seeing if we can find a new audience because it's a, it was a great little show and really heartfelt one too
0: you're talking about all these shows. Um, you know, again, I'm looking at the list as well. And it, it's it, it saddens me that I don't know any of them. <laughs> I've not
1: received like sad to see too, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's so many shows out there that that, you know, you hear were huge successes, you know, yeah. wherever they were putting on, and we don't know about them. And and I would love to to learn more about these shows do you now is there a song that um that i could play next we're going to go to another commercial another break uh any song that you have that you, you could send to me yeah. <laughs> that i could put on in this in this break
1: absolutely i shall dip into the um maybe i should send you something from hey florence because that's be for its anniversary
0: great so any any particular song you'd like to have the yeah, audience
1: um just choosing you choose your favorite child i think um (laughs) a song called um in a song called another goodbye because one of the uh realities of being a nurse is that you form a relationship with the patient but you know that you're going to have to say goodbye they're going to say goodbye because they become well and go home to their families or they don't become well and they die That, that sense of of loss is intrinsic in the in the relationship with the patients and sort of that, and that's something that nurses have to contend with all the time that people tend not to, uh, yeah, not to appreciate. Well,
0: I, I look forward to hearing that song in a few seconds. Yeah. Um, so this, we are speaking with, uh, Craig Christie here, uh, and we're going to hear the, the song, Another Goodbye, um, here on Be Our Guest on Musical Theatre Radio this is be our guest here on musical theater radio i am your host john paul Yovanoff, and we are speaking with craig christie um just a prolific writer of some great songs uh thank you uh craig for uh for coming on i've
1: been having a ball i'm very awesome. pleased to be here uh, you
0: know it's so great to meet new people from around the world um and this is this radio station's give given me an opportunity. I, I've interviewed people from California, from the UK, now Australia, from Canada, from all over, old, young, new, uh, you know, established. And it's been great to hear these stories. And they all seem to be kind of the same, too. Uh, you know, struggling a little bit, but figuring my passion out, you know, at the beginning and, and understanding where I want to go with everything. And, mm-hmm. and I love the passion that you've yes. got. And, and the, especially for the kids. That that you're a teacher and you've been um, helping them learn about the arts and and theater. So, yeah, thank you. Simple as that.
1: Oh, my pleasure, as I say. <laughs> so, uh, I'm very glad to be able to do it.
0: Oh, I'm I'm glad you did. Uh, so, now you mentioned at the beginning that you you uh, spend time between Australia and the UK. Yes. Hmm. Do you, do you find a difference between the audiences in in the two different places, or is an audience an audience? Um.
1: I think there might be small differences. I think audiences generally are audiences, but I think Australian audiences, because it's music theatre isn't as much part of the culture historically as it is in, say, the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think they tend to be a lot more um, conservative in their choices. Like they're much more likely to go and see the 50th tour of Rocky Horror Show or <laughs> Mamma Mia, or, or, um, rather than go and see something new. Um, although I was very excited to, to see at the moment that the production of Come From Away that's opened in Melbourne is getting rave reviews and selling yeah. out. Um, have you, have you that, seen that yet? Yeah? I guess I saw it um, just a couple of weeks ago here in London and I cried twice. I thought it was <laughs> one of the best things I have ever ever seen
0: i have to agree i've seen it twice here in toronto and yeah i uh, it
1: absolutely speaks to my um aesthetic and my whole perception of how you doing musical storytelling of ordinary people uh, doing extraordinary things is the most engaging and wonderful and transformative thing you can do
0: oh for sure my girlfriend got my parents and i tickets to it and we were we were in the orchestra which didn't yep. matter that much to it but um at the end, I I never give a standing ovation because you know, unless it blows me away. Yep. I, I know I clap, I enjoy it, but whatever. But I actually gave one. And when I told my girlfriend this, it almost made her cry because she knew yep. how much it meant to me. And yeah, it was oh yep. it's so if, if you anybody who's not seen it yet, go see it. Oh yeah, <laughs> like,
1: absolutely. But, so that's a quick divergence from the yeah. So yeah. um so it was great to see that happening in Melbourne at the moment. But um but uh, it's also there's a difference, sheerly because of the population. Although Melbourne's a you know a, a city of four million people, compare mm-hmm. it to the the ten million plus of London plus oh, sure. you know, the, the the millions and millions of people who are coming through all the time. Yeah. So the West End can support its thirty theatres, where Melbourne has four. Mm-hmm. So um, and you know we're lucky to have two or three shows running at any one time. I mean, there's some there for the long haul. Fortunately, Melbourne is the, it's a cultural capital um, of Australia. So mm. we tend to get the big shows. We've got like, we're the only city in the world outside of uh, New York and London that's hosting Harry Potter, for instance.
0: Oh, the, the child. Uh,
1: yeah. The, the, the golden child, whatever it is. The uh, the child. Yeah. The <laughs> Harry Potter one, that mega, yes. that, that mega thing, that multi, multi, multi-million dollar thing. <laughs> um, uh, and, I mean, there is some, there's some smaller fringe venues in Melbourne, but that's why I started, um, especially when once I had my show in the West End, I found out that I was spending a lot more time in London having to fly backwards and forwards, when seeing it's a 24-hour journey, you don't want to have to yeah. do that like 10 times a year. <laughs> so, um, so I decided to, to take the, bite the bullet and we moved over here for six months a year, which we've been doing for seven years now. Wow. Um, because there are, there's, so much more going on here and it's just a a, a fertile environment that but that's from my writer's perspective from an audience perspective i guess there's just many many more of them and because there are many more of them you are more likely to to be able to luck you know have someone come in to see a smaller show or uh, sort of risk something and people typically in the uk will see more than one one show a year where in australia i think people save up because tickets for the Big stage musicals are very expensive. Yes, you know they'll see their one show, and if they don't like it, then they may not ever go back again. So <laughs> you've got to be so people, you know, spend their money very carefully. That um, we're in London, I think audiences are a bit more willing to take a risk.
0: It's funny to hear this because I talked to somebody from London who flies back and forth from New York, yeah. and the difference between the Broadway audiences and the West End audiences, uh, you know, they say that the West End is more more polite um yes. mm. than than the Broadway. Um which is well, actually makes sense really, let's mm. be honest. Um okay. but yeah and the Australia I guess I guess there's a lot of comparison um not comparison uh similarities between UK and Australia anyways because
1: well, I yeah, we were a colony. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, the,
0: and you didn't rebel, and, as much as the states did. And,
1: no, we just sort of said, "Oh, look, thanks very much, but we'll go our yeah, we'll go our own way now." So,
0: yep, our country understands that too here in Canada.
1: So yeah, we know what you do. <laughs> exactly right. Oh well, yeah, we did it politely. Exactly. <laughs> we, like, can
0: we go? Okay, thanks, thanks, mom. Yes, okay, we'll go. <laughs> thanks a
1: lot. Yeah. Let's <laughs> stay friends.
0: Exactly. So, are you working on anything right now that you could tell us about? Or is everything hush hush?
1: Um, I'm, we're looking at extending the production of the um, Journeys to Destiny that, um, that I work about, the, the refugee story. Um, I've got on the table always, uh, it's now it's next year's children's musical that I have to start working on now, so it's ready to go into rehearsal July next year. Um, and, yeah, there's you know, a couple of other sort of things in the air, but nothing specific. I'm actually waiting for the next big idea that really excites me to land. So, um, anyone looking for a, a songwriter, give me a call. <laughs> if you've got a good idea. <laughs>
0: yeah, That's the thing too. Have you, have you ever been approached with ideas that you went, oh, no, no. Um,
1: more often than I liked. <laughs> you know, that's the whole thing about when people say, what do you do for a living? Oh, I write music for a living. Yeah. Everyone then says, Oh, I went shopping today. Oh, there's an idea for a musical. Or, Oh, no, I, you know, I've got a terrible case of diarrhea. Oh, there's an idea for a musical. You know, they think anything. And I just keep on say, No, that's a really bad idea for a musical. And so I used to be polite about it and just laugh and go, Oh, ha, ha. but now I say, No, that's a stupid idea and I will never write it. Just to, just to show them. <laughs> I've got one acquaintance who's banged on about me writing Reformation, the musical, for about four years. And like oh how are we going with reformation the music club we we really aren't
0: (laughs) it's it's funny how people are that way you would never walk up to a surgeon or a (laughs) stock broker and go you know what? buy these
1: stocks you know yes exactly i've got a great idea yeah yeah i'm doing brain surgery through the back
0: of the neck yeah exactly (laughs) like it's funny i know i guess i don't know people think uh it's a it's easy or they think it's, I don't know. Everybody's got an idea.
1: Nobody sees the process, that's the whole thing. Yes. I mean, and and that's why it's difficult. I'm so lucky that I've had the children's musicals, um, first of all, as a creative outlet, and it's doing them that I've really honed my craft in terms of storytelling. But also it's given me an income stream so I can afford to write full time. But when you think about how many years it takes to develop a Mm -hmm. proper stage musical, um, you know, if you haven't got any other income stream, it's just impossible to make a living as a as a music theater writer, and you have to do so many other things in the meantime. So at least when I'm writing something, I know I can give it all of my time to, yes. to do
0: that. And and again, congratulations on being able to do that. That's that's a that's a spot that so yes, many people yeah. would love to reach. And uh, and it's good and, and it's it's um it's a good feeling that somebody has done it, so it is possible for yes, everybody else.
1: Yes. Well, I always tell when I'm mentoring. I do a lot of mentoring for young writers and things. I say, mm-hmm. first, um, you've got to th- re- all the time think outside the box. Things that have you know, made me a you know, significant amount of money, but also um, given me practice. Uh, things like Hey, Florence, or um, uh, the the Refugee Program, and things like that. It's it's not writing the next Hamilton or yeah. or next next Les Misérables. And I think too many writers start off thinking broadway is that is their their sole goal and destination where there are so many other ways where you can get your work performed yes. and seen and create an income stream and learn your craft that don't involve someone having to invest tens of millions of dollars always look for those other outlets and also bring it to the people don't wait for the people to come to you all the time yeah. so when you see um someone's looking to commission an artist, which is how I got the Sunrise 21 thing. They were commissioning artists thinking they were going to get sculptors and painters, and I said, I'm going to write you a musical if you want to commission me, and that's yeah. how I got that commission. But they just simply hadn't ever considered getting yeah. someone to write a musical as a work of art, which is what it is. Yeah. So there are ways that the people just need to look at it and be pragmatic about it
0: well again congratulations it's it's you're an inspiration to a lot of people out there so thank you
1: thank you very much
0: so um i think we've gotten to the point where we're going to do our five questions which i ask of every one of our interviews now just let you know there's no right or wrong answers uh but there are wrong answers (laughs) right (laughs) just to give you a heads up on that all right okay Mm -hmm are you prepared i know you weren't you didn't know there was gonna be a test but there's Uh, gonna be one anyways (laughs) all right here we go just remember how your students felt when Mm -hmm. they got tests surprise ones (laughs) all right here we go question number one sondheim or weber
1: sondheim all
0: right any particular reason
1: Oh, lots of reasons. Um, the just musically much more interesting, the cleverness of the lyrics and the marriage of lyric and melody is just sublime with sometimes. Even though I get a bit frustrated with him sometimes, I just wish he would write more tunes rather than <laughs> rest it on so much.
0: Yeah. And, and, and honestly, that's not a right or wrong answer. That's, that's been 50-50 actually every time I yeah. ask this question.
1: So. All right, okay.
0: Um, second question. Favorite show you ever saw, or the most influential show you ever saw?
1: Gosh, um, right now I would. You know, I think that's an answer that will change all the time. And I'd have to say, come from away at the moment, mm-hmm. because that's I want to write a show that makes audiences feel the way that I felt after seeing that.
0: Yes, that's that's gonna be hard. To be honest, that's
1: that's a show. Yes, strong- yeah.
0: Unto itself. What was what was the first show you saw? You saw. You said you saw only two shows
1: at the beginning. Yeah, the first um, stage musical I ever saw was the Rocky Horror Show. Mm, nice.
0: That's a good influence.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that pop music sort of sensibility that was uh, remained an influence.
0: Yep. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Question number three: Jukebox musicals, good or bad?
1: Um. <sighs> Gosh, I just, we're not going to get a one-word answer from that. I, I nope. might be doing one of them um, coming up. I've just I've pitched for something, but um, there are terrible books. Yeah. Jukebox yes. musicals, and that's what. So the the idea itself isn't necessarily bad, but the the books, if the book isn't really good, it's mm-hmm. just not a good idea. Like, um, you know, Jersey Boys has got a great book. Um, the English. Band madness. Their musical, Our House. The book for that is superb. But you've got train wrecks like We Will Rock You that should never have seen the light of day. So,
0: um, I'm glad you said it because I totally agree. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, and I've seen some. some there's a couple on the West End at the moment that I've I've seen, and just the just do a tribute concert <laughs> 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 yeah. and ready right into a into a story where it doesn't fit.
0: Yeah. There's yeah. There's certain shows that work. Like, have you seen uh, Rock of Ages?
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, that, I think that works only because the, it's tongue-in-cheek. Yes, and it doesn't
1: take itself seriously. Exactly. Yeah.
0: When you do that, that's fine. That works perfectly. But yeah, some of these that try, I, I saw uh, the Temptations one. Um, well, what the heck it called again? Uh, yeah. Uh, whatever it was. That, music, yeah. music fantastic. But mm. the book, it was,
1: you know. Yeah, so just shut up and sing the songs. Please. Exactly. That's what everyone, and that's what yeah. the audience is there for. Like, yeah. T- that's my other complaint. They are a bit of a cynical sort of money grabbing approach to music theater. That, you know, mm-hmm. there's no, If there's no reason apart from, well, people who like this music will come and see it. If there's no dramatic purpose to the story, then you're yeah. in trouble. Yeah.
0: Give me a Smoky Joe's Cafe where it's just song after song after song or Jacques Brel or something like that. I'll just take the review of songs. That's yes. good enough for me. That's right? great. Yeah. But, okay. Well, question number four. Musicals from movies. Good idea or lazy?
1: Movicals are lazy.
0: Okay. <laughs> Movicals. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, and then once again, it's that sort of cynical, oh, everyone likes the, um, likes the movie, so they'll come and see the musical. It's yeah. a movie because that's the genre it was written for. There have mm-hmm. been some successful transfers, no question about it. But a lot of them have attempted and failed t- miserably because yeah. it's it should never have, because it's a film for a purpose. Yeah. And um, I mean, once again, it's a little bit of, for me, that smacks of sort of uh, producer cynicism of we will, will make, you know, people, the movie will come and see the show and it's been proven time and time again that ain't necessarily so. <laughs> yeah.
0: like, give me give me a little shop of horrors. Like, yes. it's completely different from, well, it's not completely different from the movie, but, you know, it, it, it changed it, right? But then yes. you got something like, Oh, I'm trying to think. Uh,
1: Dirty Dancing?
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm not even going to comment on Dirty Dancing. I saw that and went, oh. Uh, yeah. But yeah, okay. Uh, he's the correct answer so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, our final question, maybe the most important question. Eating food in the theater, yes or no?
1: Depends on the piece. Once again, um, if you're if you're going to see a piece that that doesn't invite you to do it, then stop your chewing and stop your rustling and don't <laughs> do not do that. Um, but, you know, there, I, I wrote a show called The Food of Love that was set in a, basically it was about being, having a meal, it was courses of music and courses of food. Yep. Eat then, absolutely. But no, I don't <laughs> want to of the, the chewing loudly and rustling their way through. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Whereas no. a, a discreet sip on a glass of wine during the theater I, I find most acceptable.
0: Yeah, I was I was watched I saw dear Evan Hansen the woman beside me was just crinkling and going into her bag of whatever it was. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, just can't you go an hour without eating?"
1: Yeah, and <laughs> it's really it's it's just having some consideration. It's basically yeah. it's it's yeah, it's politeness, strange funny old fashioned idea that it is. I know, it's weird, <laughs> huh? Yeah. Yeah, but don't chew loudly next to me, cause I might accidentally punch you in the face.
0: Yeah, and I, I, and I would back you up for being yep. an accident. If you did yes. that,
1: so. <laughs> she hit my my face with her my, my my fist with her face. I don't know
0: why. <laughs> I'm just stretching, you know. It's yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think I think theatre etiquette it's important, but that's one of the things about going into schools is teaching theatre etiquette because yes, uh, because I've had a problem with teachers where you know they use it as um. Uh, uh, some time off where they just sit there and they look at their phones or oh, they do their oh, no. Shows. Saying, no, your job is to act as an example of showing, you know, the, the relationship between the performer and the audience is a very important one and you've got to teach the right rules for that. So theatre etiquette is something that I'm really strong on still. You know, same yeah, with people texting and things like that during, I went to see Hamilton last night, um, and first time, I um, yep. was offered house seats, so why would you not? Exactly. And, um, and two rows in front of me, I mean, and these tickets would have cost you know, 250 pounds. Yeah. Um, two rows in front of me, there was a, a woman through the first act who was texting through the whole... I, 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 if I was uh. close I would have said something, but I'm
0: thinking, wow.
1: even here. You know, you're here to say you've seen Hamilton, you're not here to see see the show. Yeah. So yeah, there's all that sort of theatre etiquette stuff. And I've got great sympathy when um, you know, when, when performers stop the performance and, and yell at people in the audience who are talking or if you know, talking on their phone or whatever. It's just not acceptable. So true. You work really, really hard to make that happen and you've got to show the respect to that.
0: No, we don't walk up in front of wherever they're working and just stand in front of them and talk. And like no. people, they, it doesn't make sense to me.
1: No, no, but um, yeah, you wonder why they're there. Anyways, well,
0: <laughs> well we have their money by now. So.
1: Exactly. Well, that's my rant over anyway.
0: <laughs> well, that was the correct answer, by the way. Oh. So <laughs> it's all about theater etiquette and, and teaching people how to do that. Indeed. So that is the five questions you yeah. passed with flying colors. Ooh great you you <laughs> not more than you expected but <laughs> <laughs> no it's i never expect a one word answer uh, it, it, i'm talking to people who are in the the arts they're gonna talk <laughs> and that's great for radio so i'm not complaining I mean, at all
1: if it was on screen, I would have answered with an uh, interpretive dance, but as it is, oh, I have to use words. <laughs> I am,
0: okay, if I had known that,
1: <laughs> I would have changed
0: this whole format. <laughs> <laughs> Another time. Maybe, maybe I'll see what I can do for next time. <clears throat> Craig, thank you so much for coming on, telling us about introducing us to all the shows of yours. Uh, I can't wait to... Um, introduce some more of these shows to uh the audience and to oh
1: terrific um, yeah i look forward to uh yeah hearing how that goes and as i just uh, dip into the soundcloud and um and help yourself. That's what it's there for.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. So we have been speaking with uh, Craig Christie uh, here on Be Our Guest. Tune in next week when we have a, another fantastic guest or guests tell us about their love, their life, their passion for musical theater. Until then, I am still your host, Jean-Paul Yovanov, and I'll see you when I see you. We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theatre throughout the world, and we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button, because a supportive community is a strong community.